Thank you very much. But you know, uh, this is a good place to be on a Sunday morning. Amen? Yeah. Amen. It's good to be in God's house. So, uh, you know, this, this week is procrastination week. Procrastination week. If you're looking to put something off, this week is the week to do it. Maybe that bit of DIY, Vic. <laughs> something you know you've got to do, but you've got to put it off. This is the week to do it. Procrastination week. I don't know if I could celebrate procrastination week. I don't think I could sit still for more than five minutes, Hannah will tell you, uh, let alone a whole week. Uh, so maybe we'll just put that celebration off until next year, amen? Amen. Okay. <laughs> well, I hope your week has begun so far, so good. I'm looking forward to sharing God's word with you this morning. Uh, it's a word that I feel God has put on my heart to share with you this morning. Uh, and so I hope you're ready to receive. Amen? Amen. Well, you know, being part of a family has taught me one thing. Well, it's taught me many lessons, actually, but mainly it's three words. There's always something. There is always something. Now, that family may be just you, or it may have lots of kids like mine does. Now, whether it's a bathtub overflowing from upstairs, and the water pouring through the ceiling, destroying all that lovely plasterwork on your ceiling, or whether it's the locking my son in the car when he's two years old, or one years old, <laughs> lock him in the car with the keys. That was a smart move. What about overflowing toilets? Who loves dealing with overflowing toilets? All of you. Wow, that's incredible. Overflowing toilets. Not a pleasant job. Or last minute costume creations for kids when you've forgotten World Book Day. Parents will know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> but you're either going through something today, coming out of something, or about to go through something. Because life is a series of challenges, one after the other. Because of that, we get tired, fatigued, weighed down, and sometimes we feel broken. It should be a surprise to us that we live in an imperfect world, that we'll be faced with imperfect situations ongoing. On New Year's Day, there was a big carnival in the States. And in this carnival, there was a big float. You know how they decorate these big floats? And this float was really decorated well, and there were lots of people on the float, and they're singing and dancing, having a great time. And as this float went down the street, it suddenly sputtered and came to a halt. And they tried to figure out what the problem was and realized that it was out of fuel. It wouldn't be so embarrassing that it was representing an oil company as it drove down the street. With its vast oil reserves, its truck was out of fuel. But many of us might feel like that float today, representing something on the outside, but feeling broken-hearted, broken down on the inside. I want to tell you today that God does care about you. You are wanted and loved, and he's ready to welcome you home, regardless of the troubles that might be clouding your mind today. Even in our darkest, loneliest moments, when we struggle to summon the strength to push on, hope flickers. So I've titled today's message, Against All Hope. Against All Hope. Why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 42 this morning. And Psalm 42 is a psalm of David. And psalm 42 says, As the deer pants for streams of water... 
So my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet God? My tears have been food day and night. You ever felt like that before? Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour, my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls, and all your waves and breakers are swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to God for my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Why don't we bow our heads We pray? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. That, Lord God, whatever we're going through in our own lives today, Father, we thank you that you are Lord of all. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we glorify you this morning. We pray that you speak to our hearts. I pray, Lord God, the hearers would hear what your Holy Spirit wants them to hear, Father God. And bring transformation to their lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, ever since the introduction of sin to the world... Nothing is run perfectly. That's why we're taught to pray. Your will on earth be done like it is in heaven. Because in heaven, God's will is executed perfectly. But on earth, it's not the case. Things like the weather. Okay, we see that more and ever in, in the UK. But the weather, with the storms and the, 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 the absolute disruption it causes across the world. The economy and the fear and everything that surrounds the economy. Our bodies are broken down and wearing out. None of these things are perfect on earth. And our relationships are the same. I've got to tell you the truth. There's no perfect marriage. Apart from mine. <laughs> there are no perfect children. And there are no perfect parents either. Everything around us is broken, except for God's word. In a broken world, we can get dogged down by life as pressure piles on. We begin to get tired more often, sleeping longer to avoid starting the day. Fear becomes a standard response in every area of our lives, dismayed that there doesn't seem to be a foreseeable way out of our situation. Hopelessness. Dreams appear to be unreachable. And intangible. We get angry faster and quicker for the smallest things. We retreat inwardly rather than look like we failed in any other way to other people. You know, back in 2012, I was younger. Someone who had gone self employed a few years before, and I was doing anything I could to try and scramble a living. Whilst I felt like a millionaire in the making, I was far from it. I'd signed up to a bad franchise that had promised the earth 
by buying property fast and holding them to rent. But this had become an increasingly challenging period. The promises people had made to me were beginning to unravel. This meant that the promises I'd made to my family and other people were now doing the same. My debt was spiralling, my relationships were strained, my faith was distant, and I was pretty desperate. On the way to an appointment one morning, on Friday morning, the first decent lead I'd had in weeks, maybe months, I jumped in the car and headed over to Peterborough on a Friday afternoon, a sunny Friday afternoon. But I wasn't myself. I'd become someone as a result of the weight of life and the desperation that I carried, quick to anger and slow to listen. If I can just keep going a little longer, get that big deal and all my worries would go away. Money solves all problems, right? Not really. Maybe the outer, but not the inner. As I sped my silver chrysler through Boston, distracted by every fear and worry possible, I went through a crossroad without seeing the stop sign, driving headlong into a busy intersection that had been hidden by a verge. I crossed the junction of 50 miles an hour and was smashed into by a saloon car, which caved my door and smashed my windows. I span off the road, and the other car spun off the road to the right off the verge, with a male driver trying to escape the car at the same time, with both disappearing over the side. Appointment lost, car lost, and potential prosecution to follow. I was now at my lowest point, broken and battered. I'd caused damage and injury to another human being. I'd failed my family, my God, and myself. Life can be hard when we feel desperate. We make bad decisions, and we end up facing the repercussions, sometimes alone. Feeling dejected and alone. But God wants us to be battle-ready. The Bible tells us that in, the, in this world we will have trouble. Though the struggles we face are not huge events that happen each week like you see on EastEnders. Okay, I don't know why I'm looking that way. But just EastEnders. Sometimes they tend to be smaller pressures. The small little pressures that begin to build up in our lives. Often not big things don't always happen. They're rarer. The sore doesn't come as quickly. But what happens with these small things? They come like sandpaper and they just wear us down slowly if we're not watching what's going on. It's just slowly wearing us down. Years later, I was able to reflect on that crash with new eyes. My kids still had a father. My wife still had a husband. The other person's minor injury was quickly recovered. There was no prosecution. I quit the franchise and I started my own business. God had spared me to fight another day. Now you may be here and struggling at times in private, wondering why life hasn't turned out the way I expected it. I never wanted it to be like this. Why? Why, God? Things that have happened that have never planned and you've had to face up to that. A life that doesn't fit the picture of the dream you once had. Feeling sunken, overwhelmed, heavy, and weighed down. A broken heart crushes the spirit, Proverbs 15 says. Maybe that's the loss of a parent or child, a sibling or friend, or broken dreams, dreams that seem unreachable. Disappointments in ourselves and others from being let down. 
hopelessness over our predicament, purposelessness and frustration of not knowing where you quite fit in. Confusion over how to move forward lingers. But I want to encourage you today that if you're walking through this now, or you will do in the future, know that God has provided all the tools that you need to see you through. Isaiah 40, 26 says, Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them by name because of the greatness of his might and strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. God sees the deep things within all of us. He hears our cries and our sense of helplessness. And being in a broken condition can lead us to two places that both promise repair. The Lord and everything else. The Lord and everything else. The world will fill your life with things and leave you empty. Materials, worldly pleasures and artificial hope. All of which that can provide temporary relief from internal pain. Until just a short time later, it returns again. God's way will transform you into a new person. And one that will experience deep satisfaction and contentment in him. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Now you might feel like you've been through a boxing match with the devil right now, and you're in round 12. But, there was, but if there was anyone that knew the broken place, apart from Jesus, it was David. King David. He knew what dark times were. 2 Samuel 22, 5-6 says, The waves of death crashed over me. Devil waters rushed over me. Hell's ropes cinched me tight. Death traps barred every exit. A hostile world, I called to God. To my God, I cried out. My cry brought me into his presence. A private audience. You know, David had many challenges in his life. Many of which we may not even know about. Because his own father, you could see the relationship was distant. The fact they had a visitor come to the house and ask them to gather all of his sons. And Jesse forgot about David. Your own parent forgetting about you. He must have felt loved. Not quite so much. As a child, I never understood the songs that David sung, some of the painful psalms where he sings and explains the pains of his heart and the challenges that he faced. We often hear of David's time in the, in the cave of Adullam, a place he turned to when he felt he had nowhere left to turn, where Saul was chasing him to kill him, and the king of Gath as well had rejected him. He had nowhere left to turn except to a dark, damp cave with hundreds of discontented people. He was an unwanted, anointed king in waiting. Can you imagine? Though I think a moment that was even tougher for David was when he was in Ziklag. Now, David was living in Ziklag, <laughs> strange word, at the time where Saul was after him. He couldn't even be in Israel. Ziklag wasn't in Israel. It was in the Palestine territory. He was living amongst his enemies, the people he'd sworn to destroy. And he was having to live amongst them. 
When David and his men arrived, in 1 Samuel 30, it says, when, Daniel, sorry, when David and his men arrived home at the town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, Ahinoam and Abigail, were among those captured. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. Can you imagine? One of the darkest moments of your life, living on the run, a king after you, ready to kill you. Nobody wants you. And the the precious things that you have are taken from you and stolen. And even the men that he had helped were now ready to kill him. But the Bible says that David found strength in the Lord his God. Brokenness creates a fearful outlook. One that traps you for a long time if you're not careful. But David encouraged himself in the Lord when he was alone. The dungeon of giant despair is from a story called uh, Pilgrim's Progress. Has anyone ever read Pilgrim's Progress here? Okay, I'll, I'll keep it very simple and very short for you. But Pilgrim's Progress is a Christian story, the most famous Christian story besides the Bible. And in Pilgrim's Progress, it's an allegory. It's a story, but it's really about the life of a believer. And in the story, Christian is on a path to the celestial city. And he has a friend at one point called Hopeful. And him and Hopeful, Christian and Hopeful, walking down the path, but they get distracted and they get tired of the walk. And they go off path. And before they know it, they're in different territory. They're lost. And so they take a break and they have a sleep. And when they find, when they find that they've finally woken up, they've been captured by a giant and taken to his castle. The giant, the dungeon of giant despair. Being locked up in this prison, all he can see is death around him. And he realizes that hope has all but gone. He's in a completely hopeless situation. And it seems like an eternity goes by before they can actually leave. Because they can't leave. There's no way out. The bars are too strong. The giant is too tough and strong and mean. Constantly hurling insults and dragging them down. And then Hopeful remembers something important. He says, wait a minute. Don't you have something that was given to you. At which point Christian realises that around his neck he had a key to the prison that he was in. And this key was called hope. He had the key all, all the time in order to take him away from the position of despair that he found himself in. We have to remember that the devil doesn't want that. Hope goes hand in hand with faith and salvation. Hope is the strength to carry on. There are three things that will constantly fight as believers in this world. The devil, the world, and the flesh. And the battle inside of you is the biggest of all, the flesh. Because you're at war with yourself. And when you're at war with yourself, you're at war with God. This war is between your old nature and your new nature. Constantly at battle. Because your old nature doesn't want to do what you want it to do. 
We have to learn to fight. Do you ever do something that you don't want to do, but you did it anyway? Yes. You ever done something that was self-defeating, but went ahead and did it anyway? Yes. Did you ever make some bad decisions? Yes. And then go and make the problem worse somehow? Yes. Are there habits in your life that you don't seem to be able to break free from? Yes. All of which can make us and leave us feeling like we're broken from within. But I want to tell you this morning that hope flickers. An ember remains. The promise over you. 2 Timothy 1.6 says, That is why I would remind you to stir up, rekindle the embers of, and fan the flames of, and keep burning the gracious gift of God, the inner fire that is within you. You know, I, feel strong, I felt strongly when preparing this message that God wants you to know that he sees the deep things within you. He hears your cries. He hears your cries. In Hebrews 11, I love the book of Hebrews, but Hebrews 11 is a great chapter. And the reason Hebrews 11 is so amazing is because it's, a, it's the chapter of faith. It's the most famous chapter of faith in the whole Bible. You've got mighty men and women that have achieved incredible feats through their lives. Constantly, Abraham, Noah, Sarah, Jacob, Abel. They're just constantly reamed off the incredible feats of their faith. But none of them, in verse 39 it says that none of them received what God had promised. None of them. God had something better in mind for us. That way was only possible through the cross and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But after going through these mighty mighty people and acts of faith in Hebrews 11, Hebrews 12 starts with advice for us. How can we finish what they couldn't finish? How could we complete what they weren't able to do? All of these mighty men and women of God. And Hebrews 12 begins with, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Whilst hope flickers, there is weight and baggage that we have to put down. In Matthew Matthew 11, 28 to 30 says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary, and carry heavy burdens. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden I give you, and the burden I give you is light. God will help you to bear the weight that you also have to, have to carry. We have the weight and burdens and responsibilities of our families, of the things and maybe things that God has called you to do and serve in. We have to carry some of those things, and God gives us the strength to do that. But Jesus promises rest from our burns and brokenness. But we have to surrender the weight, the pains and the hurts that we carry. You know, in the military, when you're training in the military, whether it's the SAS or whether it's the Marines, anywhere in the world, the military will teach you, and and part of the training is that you would have to carry a very large rucksack. And it's carrying all of these important things, knives and cooking equipment maybe, and saucepans and, uh, and, and spare clothes and boots and second boots and boot covers and knives. Did I say knives already? Yes, probably did. And a tent and some, something for the floor to sleep on top of. And all of these things, you're carrying it around in your back because you're self-reliant. 
and you're walking, and they're, they're having to run with this thing for miles and miles to build up that level of endurance. We can become self-reliant in the same way with the baggage that we carry. Unwilling to put certain things down. Because we like to be in control. For thousands of years, the Israelites sacrificed blood every day for the sins that they'd committed. Morning and night. Morning and night. Because every time they sinned, they had to sacrifice more blood. Morning and night. Morning and night. Constantly. A repeating process. And they were praying for the one sacrifice that would come soon. And as, as Jesus died upon the cross, it says that the curtain in the temple was rent from top to bottom in two. Something that would have been impossible by human hands. Because a suitable sacrifice had been found. A permanent sacrifice in the perfect Son of, Christ, of God. Thereby opening the way for God to the people. The curtain between the holiest of holies was gone. Now people had access and direct access to God. Whether we're convinced our sins are too much for him, or that he won't take us back because we just think that they're just too terrible, I can assure you both are lies. God has made the route to him unblockable. Unblockable. Regardless of what you might, what might be trying to keep you from him this morning. You know, for those of you that were around in the Vietnam War, The Vietnam War was a war between the Americans and the North Vietnamese. And it was a really bitter war. It lasted for nine years. And in this war, this war was a, a tough war for the Americans because it was guerrilla warfare. The North Vietnamese had come from different directions, hidden in trees and underground. But there was an important logistical route called the Ho Chi Minh Trail. And in the, on the Ho Chi Minh Trail, it, it went from Hanoi to Saigon. And it was the route of the North Vietnamese army. It carried all of the logistical supplies, all of the food, clothing and weapons and ammunitions. Everything that was needed to conduct this war was carried down this logistical road. And the Americans knew if we take out the road, we cut off the enemy from his supplies. We can win the war. But from 1964 to 73, as part of the secret war operation conducted... The U.S. military dropped 260 million cluster bombs, about 2.5 million tons of ammunition over the course of 580,000 bombings. This is the equivalent to a plane load of bombs being loaded and sent off every eight minutes for 24 hours a day for nine years. It was more, more than all of the bombs that were dropped in Europe throughout World War II. And despite all of that, the route was kept open. And the Ho Chi, Minh uh, Ho Chi Minh Trail continued to flourish. Even if they temporarily disrupted it, one night in a bombing raid, the next morning, it would have been rebuilt and ready to go again. Already, our route to God is exactly the same. Romans 8.38 says, Nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, nor even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
So I tell you this today, that no matter where you are in your relationship with God, however off the beaten track you may have gone, however broken you may feel, he awaits your return eagerly with open arms. Though brokenness is something we all face at times, we are called to push through that sense of defeat because God wants to do something new in you. Just recently, there was a mother who expressed milk for her baby during a 268-mile running race along the Pennine Way. Doesn't that sound like fun? (laughs) She had broken the course record by 12 hours. Jasmine Paris, 35, completed the Montaigne, Montaigne Spine Race from Derbyshire to the Scottish borders in 83 hours, 12 minutes and 23 seconds. Competitors spend two-thirds of the race in the dark and carry all of their own kit and supplies. They have no personal support team or runner with them for the course. During the entirety of the race, Mrs. Paris only slept for two hours out of 83 hours. She said that by the last day, she was hallucinating. I saw pigs in the heather, trees stretching, and doing a morning workout in the woods along with the workmen. And, and to top it all, Mrs. Paris did the race six weeks before she handed in her PhD thesis. As believers, we're called to run the race of God. But remembering that that woman didn't run that race for the first time that day. She had built up that endurance over a period of time and was ready to run that race. It's the same with us. We might see other people just being able to blow over tough situations and doing well in, in God. We have to realize, would you go through what they've been through? Maybe not. Maybe so, but in time. It's something that is built up over in time. Endurance. Accepting that we will face challenges and that that is normal we can begin to put our trust in God to see us through. So how do we start to repair out of this brokenness? How do we rebuild or begin the rebuilding process? Isaiah 58, 11 to 12 says, If you are generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your overshadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I will give you a full life in the emptiest of places. Firm muscles, strong bones. You'll be like a well-watered garden. A gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew. Rebuild the foundations from your past. From out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything. Restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate. You'll be not, sorry, (laughs) and make the community livable again. You know, our brokenness is usable by God. Did you know that? Sometimes we can pray these things away so quickly without realizing that what God is trying to do in us. God can take our broken parts and use them to build the foundations of something new. But here are a few points that you can take, uh, that can take you out of brokenness. Number one, repentance. And by repentance, I also mean surrender. Isaiah thirty fifteen says, This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. And it's remembering the Jews of the Old Testament, as I said before. 
sacrificing blood day and night, day and night, day and night to take away their sins. Constantly, constantly, constantly. But we're living in the period of grace. Thank God. But repentance should still be a part of our daily routine. It should be part of our devotion time. We feel like we don't need to repent anymore. Maybe we should repent for that. But accepting we are going to make mistakes. We are going to foul up sometimes. Number two, remember your first love. Revelation 2.4. It says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. You know, my wife puts up with a lot with me. Now, I know I look really amazing, and I, and I do really amazing things, obviously, you know. Um, but my wife really knows who I really am. <laughs> and what she puts up with, I can say the truth. She's not even here. She was in the first service. But, you know, uh, it, it, even though we might look like we have a perfect marriage, we sometimes have bad times. Just very small ones. You know? Very small, tough times. And in those tough times, you know, it's good to remember. I remember when I first met her. And I met her in college when she was just 16 years old. Just about five, six years ago now. Um, and she was wearing jeans and a sweatshirt, looking casual, and that was when I fell for her. And in that moment, you know, when, when, when you're going through tough times with people, it does good to remember where you fell in love with them. And it's the same with the Lord. Whenever we're going through tough times, the Bible says to remember your first love. Remember where you first fell in love with him. There was a time when you were younger, no doubt, that you fell in love with the Lord because you realize what he'd done for you, how he transformed your life, how he'd saved you from your situation in your life of sin, like nobody else can. Number three, realizing that shedding is a process. 2 Corinthians four sixteen to 18, it says, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and they will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things that we see now will soon be gone, but the things that we cannot see will last forever. You know, I'm not a fan of reptiles at all, but reptiles, I mean, (laughs) I don't know anyone who likes snakes here. If you do, um, (laughs) I'm... Bless you. Okay. But, you know, snakes go through a process called shedding. And they get, through, they get rid of their old skin over a period of time, and it looks really gross. But in doing so, they get a new skin, and, 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 a, and their body looks new and fresh again. The process of changing our own lives is not fast. We have to come to terms with that. This is something we must also take responsibility for in ourselves. I mean, we're in church, right? We're in church on Sundays and Tuesdays. And we're growing in those times, which is great. We get to fellowship and be together. But we also have to take responsibility for our spiritual walk between those times. There is a growth that has to take place in us. And as adults, we don't get our parents telling us to do that. We have to take responsibility for the growth in our own lives. Remembering that the inner battle is taking place at all times, between the old nature and the new nature. Number four, find your joy again. Find your joy again. Nehemiah 8.10 says, Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You might say to me, What have I got to be joyful about today? 
Let me tell you, Romans 4, 7 says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgotten, whose sins are put out of sight. You know, the Bible says that when we ask for repent, when we come to God in repentance, he casts off all of our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. That means he selectively chooses to forget them. They're gone. They're cast off and forgotten about. But you know, there's people that are fun in this house. If you're lacking joy in your life, I, I recommend highly that you go looking for it. Okay? Because we can become miserable when we become so inwardly focused. It's important that we maintain joy in our lives. And when you're struggling yourself, get around other people. You know, uh, uh, Pastor Chip is a fun guy. Fortunately, we have a very fun church here. You know, there's lots of churches we could be part of that are not like this. Or get around Tate or Daryl. Daryl would love it, I'm sure. He's got plenty of jokes. If you need to, if you need to uh, laugh, go and see Daryl. He will give you a great joke. I'm sure he will. <laughs> Number five, find ways to serve and elevate others. Matthew 23.11 says, The greatest among you will be your servant. And when we die to self, we live. It's contrary to the world system. We're called to be an outward, upward-looking people, not an inward, downward-looking people. You know, the Bible and Christianity, everything about Christianity is focused on you coming out of yourself. It's focused on serving others, giving, giving of yourself in every possible way. And God knows that in doing all of these things, you change. You change. You die to yourself and you become a new creation. And then number six, your words have power. Your words have power. Matthew 15, 11 says, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth is what defiles them. There will always be people around you and reasons to bring you down. Always. Especially when you're trying to live by faith. Even in boxing matches, sometimes you hear your people in your own corner shouting, Stay down! Stay down! Because that way you don't have to take any more punches. That way there's no more pain. No more hits. No more fight needed. But we're not called to stay down. We're called to fight the good fight of faith, 1 Timothy 6.12 says. But fighters know the power of words too. Muhammad Ali was the master of this. He would often talk to his opponent uh, on newscastings before the fight in order to wear his opponent down because he knew if he spoke to his opponents before the match and they heard him, they'll be scared because of his confidence. And he would speak to them and instill fear and doubt into them. Whether it was Joe Frazier, Sonny Liston, any one of them. But a fight can be won before it's even started by our words. Our words have power over us as well. The very same power that God has given his people to use are your words. Proverbs 18.10 says, Life and death is in the power of the tongue. To recite and recall his word when you're facing tough situations. And times of trials. You know, the prodigal son was alone for most of what most people fail to see. Whilst he was off spending his father's money, or his inheritance actually, his, his own inheritance. But he was off spending this money, but most people fail to realise he was very much alone. 
for the whole time. It doesn't talk about any friends that he had. In the same way that these vices can be a temporary fix, the prodigal son was one of those people that was very much alone through his duration in terms of realizing that he'd come to the lowest point in his life, he returned to his father. Regardless of the rebellion or sin that we may have done on the inside, we often become lonelier people on the outside. That's why I'd recommend that no matter how much you like to be alone, and being alone is okay, no matter how much you like to be alone or enjoy being alone, don't overindulge. God has created us to be relational beings. It's through others that God encourages us, encourages us and strengthens us and changes us. Jonathan encouraged David. Although David encouraged himself, but there was a time where even David needed encouragement before that time. When Jonathan encouraged David, it says in 1 Samuel 23, 15, it says, One day near Horesh, David received the news that Saul was on the way to Ziph in search, uh, to search for him and kill him. Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith of God, in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You are going to be the king of Israel. And then there was Jethro who encouraged Moses but also gave him some advice that no one else would have given him. In Exodus 18, 14, when Moses's, when Moses's father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? What are you trying to do alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? Moses replied, because the people came to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me, and I'm the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them instructions. This is not good, Moses' said. Uh, Moses' father-in-law said. You're going to wear yourself out. And the people too. The job is too heavy a burden for you to handle by yourself. It was comfort and guidance from others. But the, infor- the important fact here is that they received that which was given and began implementing it into their lives. The encouragement from others was important. I think Paul summarizes things perfectly in his letter to the church of Ephesus. In Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, and it's the message version, it says, and that about wraps it up. God is strong and he wants you strong. So take everything that the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials and put them to use so you'll be able to stand up against everything that the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps. A life or death fight to the finish against the devil and his angels. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle alone. Take all the help you can get. Every weapon that God has issued, so that when it's all over, but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them to your lives. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. Whatever situations you're facing in your life this morning... There is hope for you yet. Not because of who you are or what you can do on your own, 
but because someone gave their life for yours so that you could have a better life. When the rain comes, and the Bible says it will, that we can sometimes settle for staying broken, accepting our losses, and continuing on in the same way that we have been before we realize months or worse, years later, that we are still in the same battle that we were in back then. But God is a restorer and a replenisher and he can restore and replenish you today. So if you're here today and you're facing challenges that are beyond you and your ability to cope with them alone, God waits patiently to begin that restoration work in you. He is more than able. Why don't we stand for a moment here? I'd like to encourage you that if you're facing brokenness in any part of your life today, I want to pray for you. If you've been worn down from facing the battles one after the other from every side and tired of doing it alone, if you're ready to let God fight for you, for the battle is the Lord's, then I'd like to join me at the front and we're going to pray together. Whatever it is you're facing, whatever challenges that privately you're trying to handle alone, that you need God to break through in your life, then this is your moment. That may include sickness too. You're facing challenges in your own body. I encourage you to come to the front so we can pray for you. By coming to the front, you're making a statement that you trust in God, that you believe he is able to break through in your life. It's a step of faith. And it's also faith with action. So everybody in the room, why don't we close our eyes and bow our heads just for a moment. Father, we thank you for your word. That it penetrates hearts and changes lives. We thank you that your word is a double-edged sword, Father. We thank you that you know us intimately and deeply. You know the cries of our heart today, Father. We put our trust in you. And I speak to everyone here today. Lord, whatever situation they're facing, I speak breakthrough in the name of Jesus over every soul here today, Father. I thank you that you've given us authority. And Mark eleven twenty four says, whatever we pray for on earth, we shall receive it by faith. We receive it today. For you know the individual challenges that face every individual here, Father. You know them by name. You know everyone here, Lord, by name. You know the number of hairs on their head, Father God. And I thank you, Lord God, that you have not forsaken your people. For your word says that you will never leave or forsake us. But we pray for breakthrough in the name of Jesus right now. I thank you that today our victory comes. We thank you that you encourage us and strengthen us, Father. Strengthen our bones. Strengthen our hearts. We pray that your Holy Spirit will be here in you. I pray for healing for anyone that needs breakthrough in their body right now in the name of Jesus. I command you, Satan, to be away from them in Jesus' name. You have no authority over these bodies. These are, the, these are God's children. We surrender them to you in Jesus' name, Lord. We surrender these issues to you, Father God, knowing that you can overcome all things. 
I speak health and wholeness to their bodies, healing to their bodies. We thank you, Father God, that you are our healer. Father, we put our trust in you this morning. And if you're in this room today and you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, be wrong to go and not give you the opportunity to know him for yourself and to experience the breakthrough that others have. That while every eye is closed and every head bowed,